And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Uh, the ASMR I started last week's podcast with was uh, hit or miss, depending on the listener. Things have not gotten better with the Toronto Raptors since we last talked, but we're going to take a different tack this time. And Eric and I have been thinking about this a lot off the air, and we kind of green-roomed this. And uh, before I bring Eric in, I'm just going to tell you that this came from him. We we were discussing, you know, what is the Raptors' biggest problem right now? Uh, And where we came to was that it's each and every one of you. Eric, Kareen, welcome to the podcast. Please tell the fans at home exactly why they're the ones blowing the start to this season and why the Raptors are 2-8. and Yeah, um, I think you really hit the nail on the head, um, and that's because, you know, our fans are a bunch of tools. Um, wow. What what our fans, the Raptors fans, whoever, uh, the you know, we've talked so long on this podcast about process over results, process over results, process over results, and when the Raptors finally show some improvement in marked ways... In this West Coast trip, all people are talking to me about the one and three record. And it's like, so you're fine with process over results when the results are good, but you know, you can't deal with a one and three Western West Western Conference road trip. Listen, I've covered some 0 and 5 Western Conference road trips that, you know, really put the Raptors in a hole. And, you know, we're the start of a lot of languid, awful, unwatchable Raptors seasons that didn't have half the fight of this Raptors team. And if you can't appreciate them, then you're part of the problem. And listen here, brother. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a rhyming like word with Blake, like for Mean Gene, gotcha. but yeah. I, like I, I could not do it. Like all I could think of was fake. Well, here's Blake's really... take, brother. There's a reason Kawhi Leonard left all of you. There's a reason Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka left all of you. There's a reason Eric Kareen and I both petitioned to get sent to the Clippers and Lakers beats. (laughs) Anyway, uh, this is a a less friendly start than the ASMR start. Uh, We know you're probably going through it. The Toronto Raptors are 2-8. and They have lost one-point games with a game winner that rimmed out on consecutive nights. Uh, The last we talked to you, we had hoped that Things would be, I guess we weren't overly optimistic. We we figured we'd be talking to you with the Raptors at three and seven, and uh, you know they were a couple bounces from being three and seven or four and six, uh, but here they are at two and eight, and that's kind of been the story of the season so far. That they have uh, either done things well for parts of games. Uh, they've blown six double digit leads, and you can't usually get a double digit lead without playing well for a little bit of the game. Uh, they've done certain uh, game plan elements well, like holding Steph Curry to one of the worst shooting and scoring nights of his entire career. Uh, But they keep coming up short. And 
Eric, you in your heel promo, you were talking process versus results, and that's certainly the relevant discussion as the Raptors played what I would call better games over that one and three stretch than uh, their opening one and five stretch. However, the longer this uh, strings on and the longer they continue to uh, put losses together, as it were, um, you know, the, the more that stuff doesn't hold up. I think people's appetite for things like moral victories or, or seeing progress um, that dissipates as the record gets worse and worse. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, where the tipping point on that may be. We're going to talk about exactly what uh, this close but not there turnaround looks like statistically and in terms of uh, Pascal Siakam and the center rotation. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. Uh, before we do, reminder, you can head to theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not already a subscriber to uh, the written side of our work. You can get a deal there right now for just $3.99 a month. Um, you know, you'll have things like my Raptors 905 roster explainer uh, that went up yesterday that uh, thank you to Matt Devlin and Leo Routens for plugging that, uh, you know, 12 hours in advance. What timing on their part? Um, <laughs> They're actually our editors yeah. is, uh, is what everybody doesn't know is that... Uh, since they're working from home and traveling less, they've actually taken time to assign us work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, some other good stuff. Uh, Eric, you you kind of wrote off the second of those consecutive losses. I wrote off the first. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot there. So anyway, theathletic.com slash we the six. Um, before we dive into uh, the Raptors stuff, the one thing that we should probably make mention of that thankfully hasn't affected the Raptors yet um, you know, there's a lot of the talk of the league right now is that uh, there continue to be more positive tests among the NBA player base. There have been uh, four games in total now that were postponed because due to the health and safety protocols and contact tracing teams didn't have the minimum eight required players uh, to play. It sounds like we're we're heading toward more of this. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks had a couple more positives that were reported last night uh, by Zach Lowe and Tim McMahon of ESPN. Uh, we had Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, tweeting today that you know there's there's uh, the the Kyrie uh, element of this now as well, which is a whole thing to unpack. Um, but I think is a reminder that there is uh, very much a personal and mental health aspect to everything that's going on right now. Uh, the Washington Wizards shut down their practice facility today um, and had been in close contact with four teams that also had to shut down in the last <laughs> week. So you see how quickly this can all uh, get exponential. Uh, the Raptors actually have the Mavericks coming up three games from now, so uh, that'll be worth tracking. But mostly, uh, you know, we're in a place where I, I hope your your primary concern uh, outside of the two and eight record is you know these guys staying safe and these guys maybe even healthy. inside of the two and eight record. Yeah, but, I mean, look, I'm but, trying to be yeah, realistic I, I, based on yeah, what I my mentions and our comments have been. No, I understand. I don't I, think and uh, I'm not even I'm not even criticizing yeah. people for it because like to think about this all the time is to it's exhausting. Live in a yeah, exactly. Like reading uh, before we came on, you know, the Ontario government saying that we're returning to the very very earliest lockdown protocols. It's like, man, I never left those. <laughs> it's uh i mean i guess i did go to tampa bay and not leave the hotel room uh and i'm now you know still dealing with the effects of two weeks of uber eats as i uh, try to get back into the workout <laughs> routine here um anyway so that's you know that is a and, consideration and obviously and there's a there's a board of governors meeting on tuesday which is today. uh today as we're recording uh and i imagine a bunch of different scenarios will be on the uh, table. Yeah, I so. mean, I think you got to talk about, you got to explore stuff like uh, expanding exactly 
what the contact tracing holds are, you know, like Jason Tatum test positive and Bradley Beal's the only guy that has to, you know, isolate after playing a game against them. Um, I think you have to explore stuff like uh, wearing full hockey helmets with full visors on the court. Uh, I think you have to explore <laughs> potentially stopping, you know, stopping the, the the league for two weeks here and, you know, letting things catch up and um, everyone kind of get their feedback under them. Uh, and then I think, you know, you'll even kick around something like, hey, should they add a couple roster spots, whether traveling with the NBA team or, you know, maybe two or three of the 905ers get pulled from the 905 and they're just stationed in Tampa working out. Yeah. And that way they're not subject to the same um, travel risks and exposures as the rest of the team. Uh, you know, I don't know that that is uh, those are certainly ways to keep the games going. Um, I think the the far bigger concern is keeping players healthy and what that looks like. Um, also, yeah. consider- Base, baseball had that in Rochester with like the Jays had three of the a taxi squad mm-hmm. in Rochester, I think was the term they used uh, away from Buffalo that uh, they had three extra guys who could come in at any point. Yeah. Basically. So maybe the 905, you know, Gary Payton, the second who was a uh, a draft pick of the 905 on Monday or Sauce Castillo, who is the Raptors uh, designated veteran down there. You know, any of those guys, maybe maybe they become sort of the taxi squad. Um, still unclear too what the quarantine protocol is going to be like. Like, will the G League bubble effectively be that? Uh, it's possible they're all going to be quarantined in the bubble in Orlando. But if you have to travel, you know, if the Raptors are in Boston and a player has to get called up from the Orlando bubble to Boston to to fill a spot, um, you know, conceivably they'd be subject to at least a twenty four to forty eight hour quarantine. So uh, a lot to figure out there. That is obviously you know, the biggest thing and it's at the forefront of our minds and the the discussion around the league. And I would imagine it's, you know, obviously that affects all 30 teams. Um, so it's certainly not a, an excuse for the Raptors relative to their opponents or anything, but it is something to keep in mind that, um, you know, as we go through all of this, it's a very novel and challenging environment. It has been very challenging on the court as well for the Raptors. Like we said, they are two and eight with some truly painful losses, um, back-to-back game winners for Pascal Siakam, rimming out, Eric, to contextualize just how close they are uh, from being, you know, two and eight and maybe not as far as eight and two, but like this could be a 500 team without much else having to have broken right. Uh, They're right in the middle of the pack, ranking 19th in net rating. They've been outscored by only 1.4 points per 100 possessions. Uh, They are uh, number 13 in offense, which is a a minor surprise. And then they've actually been pretty poor on defense sliding at number 24. Uh, They have basically this statistical profile of a five and five or four and six team right now. I guess what what I'm curious about uh, on your end is, is that encouraging to you or does that make it all the more frustrating that they haven't pulled any of these close games out? Um. Not sure I can answer that question clearly. What I will say is I don't think you can wipe away. Like, uh, I'm just asking certainly, you, for you personally yeah. how how it feels. I don't yeah, know. How, no, I know. Um, other than the standings, which is obviously how it affects it most, like I don't think you can just wipe away some of the reasons they've lost those close games. And I think what we've seen repeatedly is you know the offense bogging down a little bit a lot of contested jumpers so you know perimeter jumpers uh, as opposed to interior jumpers which you really don't see much of in today's (laughs) nba um and like obviously a lack of like really true 
blow by creation, like a guy who who's going to meet his beat his man and draw a second player and make the required play. You know, are, are you suggesting that your only attempts at the rim being six foot or under players who also fall on those attempts is, is maybe not the best indication for your offense? Yeah, like they, there's a reason they're scoring, I, I put it in my story last night, like something like 86 points per 100 possessions in their 25 clutch minutes. Like, the, the, the it's hard. And they've taken 21 three-pointers and eight free throws in those minutes. And now a lot of that has to do, like, the teams that are, you know, winning those games end up shooting free throws because they get fouled near the end of them. But the point stands, like, this is a team that's had trouble off and on creating free throws this year. And, and that's been true again uh, in the... In the um, I don't even remember what the start of this point was uh, in the clutch. And, you know, you, you see what went on against Portland and it's not like they were creating a bunch of great looks at the rim either. Like I I think Dame Lillard certainly got to the rim a few times, especially as the game went on, but he's going to do that. And uh, aside from when Alex Lund was out there, I don't think, Anything was ever, you know, super, super easy. But you had Lillard making a, Lillard making a contested three. Mello hits a turnaround, like mid-range turnaround over Fred Van Vliet. That's, you know, pretty tough. Even uh, Obviously, with the size difference, he's going to get that shot off, but not an easy shot. And then the, you know, game winner in semi-transition that uh, CJ McCollum hit, like, not a super easy shot, uh, you know. You you trust him to take it, and you trust him to make it. But uh, but that's sort of the point. You don't have anybody on the Raptors who you like really would feel super comfortable taking that shot. CJ and... McCollum's not even a real journalism. <laughs> so it doesn't like the answer isn't always like we got to get to the rim and make this happen, but like. It's either that or have big time shot makers, you know, and the Raptors don't have either, you know, a guy who's getting to the foul line a ton or, you know, a classic shot maker in the vein of Leonard or or McCollum. And they've also been really bad defensively in the clutch, which is uh, probably because they only have three or four guys playing well night to night. Yeah. And that's, you know, from a big picture standpoint, that's a big reason I can't get totally on. Like, even though I, I, I think I'm more optimistic than pessimistic after this trip, especially compared to where we are, we were a week ago, no doubt. Um, but like, you know, maybe you're getting tired down the stretch because Pascal Siakam played 40 minutes one night and then also had to carry a huge load the next night. And, you know, the same for Kyle Lowry and the same for Fred Van Vliet, who are your three creators. Like, it was the same story last year where they played, you know, they were all playing around 36 minutes a night, except they had the benefit of being injured just to, to give them a break. Uh, and who says we're not heading there given this, uh, given the load that's on them. So, I, I mean, the biggest thing, the two biggest things is they need more guys joining this party uh, of guys who are producing on a night-to-night basis, which I, I think we can now say is the three guys I just mentioned, plus Chris Boucher, plus more or less OG Ananobi in his role, whatever you think of his offense, he's he's doing his job. So that's five guys. Um, and it would be great if one of the bigs could figure out how to stay on the floor. Uh, and by that, I mean 
Len and or Baines uh, because a lot of matchups are going to call for 20 good minutes from a big, and right now they're not close to that. They're getting zero good minutes. Uh, Yeah, well, they only got 38 total minutes over four games from any of them. Uh, I I did not check what their plus minus was in those minutes. Oh, well, I have have that handy. Okay, well, that's great, because I was finishing writing at 2 a.m., but uh, I was not in the mood. Oh, you finished writing at 2 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the, yeah. Anyway, um, so that was going to be that was going to come up later in the podcast, but let's talk about it now because I do think it is, uh, you know, the things like Siakam. We're going to talk about Siakam because he he took a step forward and obviously had the the ball in his hands those last two two games uh, on the final possession. Um, but some of this stuff, you know, OG being a little up and down offensively or Norm being Norm, uh, you know, some of that stuff is going to ebb and flow. And we talked about it a lot on last week's podcast. Uh, the center issue is the most pressing because as you asked Nick Nurse about uh, before the game on Monday, you know, you can do this game to game and start small or play Boucher big minutes or, or give Len or Baines the old uh, Hoffa Rougeau slash Aaron Williams slash Luis Scola treatment of, hey, you're going to start, you're going to play the first five minutes of each half and then we're never going to see you again um, just to kind of line up the way the rotations work. You can do that game to game, but it's not. You know, there are 62 games left. They're going to need Aaron Baines and Alex Len at some point. Uh, On the season, they are minus 52 with either of those centers on the floor and plus 38 with either Boucher or OG uh, as the center. Um, That doesn't filter out garbage time, but there hasn't been a lot of that anyway. Uh, In the last four games, Eric, in the 26 minutes Len played, they had a minus 42 net rating. Uh, And then in the 13 minutes Baines played, they were actually plus 16. Uh, but that is uh, not a season-long trend. Baines and Len have the two lowest net ratings on the team of anyone who's played at least 50 minutes. Uh, so, not great. A reminder, it's early for this kind of stuff. Uh, Stanley Johnson leads the team in net rating, for example, um, which I'm not sure will sustain. Uh, the The impact of uh, the center's having the poor net ratings that they do is that Boucher's on-off stuff looks tremendous. It's uh, it's really great. Um, he's going to have, when we get the first runs of like RAPM and PIPM and stuff like that, Boucher is going to look like an MVP um, because they played so well with him and so poorly without him. Um, so I guess, you know, you asked Nick about this yesterday. We saw it again last night, just a couple minutes from Alex Len, and then they start the second half with Boucher and they never go back to a center. Um you know, it's Let, let's just say that Portland cooperated by having uh, Nurkic, Nurkic get go out with a bruised quad. I think yeah. was um, and yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get the fire up the Harry Giles propaganda because his five minutes were okay. Not not yeah. What the hell? Flashy. He was great in the first game, the Andrew Nicholson Memorial, awesome first game. He was the best and player in the league it. in the preseason too. And then we haven't heard about him since. Well, this is uh, trade him. You, you know, you got to deal them to, to the Raptors. The Raptors could really use them. Uh, For McCaw? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> Eric, where are you at with this? Like, I guess not where are you at, because I think everyone's on the same page. Boucher has dramatically been the, the team's best center. Um, they've looked better defensively when they downsized with OG at center. But you're not going to be able to do that for, for 62 more games, 48 minutes a game with a condensed schedule, no less. It's just... You, first of all, like rotation-wise, you then have two or three centers coming off the bench, which you're never going to play Baines and Len together. Um, it's just not a very long-term sustainable approach. 
What do you do here if you're a nurse, man? Um, I think we, I know where it's headed eventually, or I think I know where it's headed, and I think Aaron Baines is going to get another shot, and probably sooner rather than later. Um, I, I think there's enough of a track record there that they should have some faith uh, that he can figure this out. And, and I mean, maybe I'm projecting because I, I sort of believe that. Uh, but I think that's where we're heading. But in the, like, Nick Nurse was very open about, I think it was after the game. I'm now conflating pregame and postgame uh, availability where he said, you know, long, uh, like forget long-term. I'm just trying to figure this out short-term. And, and that's very much you know, where you are when you're two and eight and, and you're, you just need to get the momentum. Even if momentum is not a real thing, it, it obviously feels like it's a real thing in, in real time. Like you need to get them thinking a different way. Um, and, and you need your, uh, you need your guys to, believe and I, I think the most positive thing about this trip is there's no absence of belief going on uh that that's evident but you take a few more of those losses and perhaps that changes uh so you know short story is i think you know without thinking about the like charlotte's next i think last i saw they're starting biombo right now yeah right? yeah because seller's fine. injured yeah like you can start boucher against him you'll give up some rebounds but boucher gave up some rebounds against um ennis counter last night and it was still ennis counter who was chased off the floor not the other way around also so, they were giving up lots of rebounds with baines and Lynn before, on the floor that, yeah that that's the thing like uh i wrote this in my story you know if they're if they're not cutting down the angles on drives with you know better positioning than Boucher's providing, and if they're not helping your team rebound, and you know Alex Len gives up like uh just a you want to smack yourself in the head when you give up free throw uh you know an offensive rebound on a on a missed free throw, uh, but especially at the end of the half like they did in the first half that gave Portland oh that two four, more. that little like four zero or six yeah. zero run in the last forty five seconds yeah. of the first half just, was just awful. If you needed to know the way that game was gonna go, yeah, and I mean it's easy to say in hindsight, but like. It felt terrible in the moment. <laughs> like I, it certainly did. Like those, when you get your chances, you have to do the things. Like in this case, the thing that's being asked of you. Uh, so, but I, I do think I've gotten a field from your question. I do think Baines gets another chance, probably sooner than we think, and I still believe that uh, he uh, will make. If not as much as maybe people were expecting coming into the season, he'll make more of that opportunity than we've seen so far. Yeah, I made this point on Twitter last night, and it's it's not that Bain, like Baines and Len were obviously going to be downgrades from Gasol and Ibaka, and we kind of talked about like, oh, what if, if you can get seventy five percent of what you know Gasol gave, and Baines has not been anywhere close to that. He's been like 0.75% of what Gasol gave, but uh, you know, I think the the thing to keep in mind is that the reason that those made sense as floor stabilizing moves is that, you know, Bain, if Baines is your backup center, you're in a solid spot. If Len is your third center, you're in a solid spot, but those guys are being asked out of the gate to be more than that. 
Um, and, you know, this is part of why I was fine with Baines and Len, but if you, you remember back to kind of our off-season podcast, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the lack of an upside swing there. And, you know, Harry Giles was my guy. And, and obviously Noah Vonley hasn't worked out and, you know, could be G League bound or whatever. Um, you know, Willie Colley-Stein looks pretty nice. But anyway, um, you know, they're just, they're, they're depth pieces and they're not going to win you games necessarily. But I, I would think at some point they're also going to stop losing you games uh, or at least losing you games as frequently. So I could see, I would also not mind... I think Baines makes more sense as a as a lower minute starter to keep Boucher in that high energy role off the bench where he can have a lot of usage and stuff. Um, but I also like rather than just shelving Baines, I wouldn't mind, you know, if you come out uh, Thursday and start Boucher and Baines gets the look as the backup center. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, like. yeah, at some point you have to find minutes for one of those two guys. You have to and they have to be functional. Um, and so if they haven't been functional as a starter, then maybe you try them as a, uh, you know, a bench piece. Yeah, I don't think that's, I, yeah, I don't think that's, to me, that's not what makes the most sense ultimately, but we'll see. Like, you know, now's certainly the time to experiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's the thing, right? You gotta, and, and Nick Nurse had that pregame quote about how, you know, you're trying to basically you're trying to plug holes right now and you're trying to experiment on the fly and, and fix what's not working. And also, like the data you have right now is just garbage. Right. Like, yeah, like we don't we don't tend to not even really look at like team level stuff until the 20 game mark. And then five man unit stuff, like even with a whole season of sample, isn't that great and, and gets regressed a bunch. So, um, you know, obviously this is where this part of the season you're looking a lot more qualitatively and. and Baines dropping every pass and shooting 0% at the rim and stuff like that uh, stands out. So, uh, but I do think it's worth a, another shot at some point for sure. Um, I said, I joked, you know, the reverse norm. Norm did get a uh, a start to see if he could get going a little bit. He is continuing to not play well. I think maybe the the best indication, let, let me throw two things at you here, Eric. Uh, one is that Norm Powell has played 229 minutes and has six assists. Which is uh, sure not a uh, he has a third of the assists of OG. He has fewer assists than Boucher in more minutes. It, it's a uh, it's not great uh, in terms of Norm's ability to do anything other than drive in a straight line right now. He is also shooting while he's shooting forty three percent on threes. He is shooting thirty one percent on twos. Not oh not good. Um, he continues to struggle. It's pretty clear Nurse just will give him extended leash long enough to, you know, hopefully figure it out. Just because if, if he can get back to giving them 15 efficient points off the bench, that, that's such a big need for that bench unit. Um, I think, so, you know, moving forward, you've got Powell and one of the centers, uh, whether that's Boucher or, or whichever of Baines or Len come off the bench uh, and Boucher starts locked into the second unit. Um, Nurse seems to have settled on Stanley Johnson for the time being. Like I said, he has the best net rating on the team. Um, he's played 107 minutes now, and offensively, he's not scoring efficiently at all. Um, he does introduce some spacing concerns because teams are just helping way, way off of him um, to double on the ball. And, and to his credit, Johnson has made some nice passes. He does have 10 assists in 107 minutes, which for a guy who touches the ball as infrequently as him is pretty nice. Um, you know, he's making good cuts. He he runs hard in transition. And then defensively, 
he's been pretty solid and he's been one of their best rebounders. So um, I don't, I, I'm at a place with Johnson where I actually think he's played pretty well and I haven't hated his minutes out there. Uh, but I do think there is a risk of, you know, um, you don't want to lock into Stanley Johnson because I don't know that this is going to hold up. Um, so I'm just not willing to write Johnson into the rotation in pen right now. Uh, I think Yuta Watanabe will get some shots there. Uh, but the biggest piece I want to talk about, unless you have a hot Stanley Johnson take, is that Terrence Davis spot as kind of the ninth man or, or fourth guard in the rotation or however you want to frame it. Um, I know that Davis's offensive punch tends to be helpful for those second units. I think he's played pretty poorly. And I think the defense has been shaky and, and the mistakes have been there. And, um, you know, if we assume that Norman Powell's mistakes and defensive shortcomings aren't going to result in fewer minutes, um, Davis is the guy you're looking at when you're talking about Malachi Flynn, um, Matt Thomas getting another shot, maybe even DeAndre Bembry. Where are you at on those, those back two spots in the rotation? Spots eight and nine, we'll call them. Uh yeah, it's tough. Um, I get, uh, you know, we talk so much about the offensive shortcomings of this team, you know, ratings be damned for now. And Terrence Davis, Davis answers a lot of those, you know, better in theory than in practice right now. But, you know, good secondary creation, good shooter, uh or certainly willing and a shooter who can get hot. Um, I, like a lot of people are saying in my mentions, <laughs> and I think they have a point, I'm not sure what happened with Matt Thomas and why the leash was so short there. Uh, I think he'll end up getting another chance. Uh, I get that he's a guy that teams attack, but I, I'm not sure that that's any different than Terrence Davis, who, you know, is one of the, you know, he makes a lot of errors <laughs> defensively, Terrence Davis. <laughs> uh, a lot of error. I mean, they're mostly errors of commission. Like he's just a bit over eager and, you know, jumping out too much or, you know, he, he's trying. I don't, I don't think he's not trying, but he's just, he's messing up at, at several levels sometimes on the same play. Uh, and Matt Thomas, for all his faults defensively, and he has them, uh, I think he can really lock into a system. And I think we've seen that repeatedly in the zone. Uh, you don't want to be totally dependent on zone. So maybe that's part of, of what Nick Nurse is thinking. Uh, I think he gets another shot again probably sooner than later um i don't uh, i i think what you don't you don't want to what anabi brought was really good for the most part you know he's not sort of like you're talking about stanley johnson not that they're that similar like there's not this huge upside there but he's interesting around the glass he's interesting as a versatile defense defender he's you know, if he has an open three, like I'm happy with him taking that shot and he seems ready to take it. Uh, I liked what he did out there. And I like, I would have him right, you know, just based on merit, I would have him right alongside Stanley Johnson right now in terms of who's getting minutes, depending on sort of what you need. Uh, By the way. So those are, I, I think like Watanabe and Thomas for those spots 
are, are sort of where I'm leaning right now. Uh, not to dismiss Malachi Flynn, who has his role and I think was very good in, in those. Uh, I mean, he's certainly very good against Sacramento. Uh, I, I forget exactly what he did against Golden State now. Uh but I think he'll have a role. I just think in terms of their needs on the roster that Watanabe and Thomas are, are probably a bit ahead of him for me. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, by the way, just to double back to Norm Powell, while you were answering there, I looked up. Uh, there have been 459 players to play at least um, to, to get on the floor this year. Norm Powell ranks 403rd in assists per 100 possessions. Um, right around names like Jaleel Okafor and Bruno Caboclo. And uh, Ennis Cantor. So um. Um, I asked Nick Nurse about him after the game, and uh, Nurse and I framed it as basically Norm's been bad. Thoughts, <laughs> uh, and uh, like not that bluntly, obviously. And Nurse said he thought he was all right last night, and he was a plus nine. So sure, whatever. Um, and they just need to get him back to the point where when he's not having a hot shooting night, he's still you know, doing other things on the floor. And I think that's obviously what we're talking about here is like his defense has been unreliable. He's doing nothing to help anybody else uh, in terms of his play creation. So all you're left with is, or, or, you know, his three point percentage and his uh, ability in transition. And he's been bad in transition this year. So I'm not saying they should take him out. Like he has a pretty long track record of being a, playable guy um and i think he'll get there but uh you know he's been far below uh, not to like I, it almost defies analysis at this point with norm because he sort of like you wrote last year he kind of is what he is and right now he's playing poorly we know what it looks like when he's playing well you know at the end of the year he'll probably look like somewhere in between those two players when you think back on it but uh it's been really bad to start. Yeah, and the timing's not great because, you know, we talk about the, the we talk about the center issues and, you know, one of the things I mentioned in my my piece after the Golden State game is like, yes, they do look way better defensively when they downsize and they're back to being this versatile, switchy, high activity defense, but if you don't have the extra guard or the extra wing that's playing well offensively, you're not getting the benefit of of those smaller lines like like part of the reason to go small is usually that it fuels your transition game and you have a little bit more speed and spacing in the half court. Um, you know, most teams downsize for offensive reasons and the Raptors just are not getting offense out of, out of those smaller looks. And a large part of that is because 
Norman Powell is usually the fifth guy that's going to get the call in those spots, and he's not playing well. Um, Eric, I want to... Let's talk about some fun Yeah, shit. I was going to say, let's talk about something uh, a little more positive here. Uh, the last couple games, Pascal Siakam has taken a pretty good step forward. Uh, they've had him initiating initiating rather at the elbows a little bit more, a little bit more passing out of the post. Uh, he's been he's looked just tremendous as a playmaker the last couple games. Uh, a little bit more confidence. It looks like getting to the to the front of the rim. We'll talk about the two closing shots after this, but Siakam steps forward. You know, when they were one and five, we kind of talked about like, hey, if Siakam figures this out, like a lot of the other stuff just kind of aligns itself like it like that's the highest leverage thing that needed to be fixed now we look stupid for having said that because Siakam played better and they still went one and three on this trip uh but hey look at stupid's are is our sweet spot so um Siakam looks like he's turned a bit of a corner and you'd think that that only you know continues to build mentally in the same way that his struggles kind of snowballed mentally um are you pretty encouraged like like his numbers overall now um, he's averaging 20 points, nine rebounds, five assists, and uh, you know shooting 46% overall, only 31% on threes, and only getting the line five times a game. But um, you know, I think you look at these last couple games, and it's certainly moving in the right direction. Yeah, and they played better. Like yeah. I, I, I mean, a lot of that is just Pascal, like doing more with his possessions. But like, I don't think we were wrong in saying stuff aligns better for the team when he's playing better. Like I, I think you saw some of that and the results didn't come. And that's for all the reasons we just talked about, but that doesn't take away the original point. Uh, you know, he, he just looked way more decisive to me on the trip. Uh, and especially in the post, yeah, he did force some passes. He wasn't without some bad reads there, but like the last I know you said we're about to talk about the last possession. Yeah, let's but talk about him now. I, I mean, the the last possession against Portland was a great example. Like, he he started backing Covington down, and help came, and he sort of, like, popped back out for a second and sort of surveyed the the court to see if there was an open passing lane. Uh, there wasn't. And so he went back again and it was a one-on-one post-up opportunity. And maybe, you know, you could talk about the play call and that like he probably didn't have enough time at that point to get really good position and, and, you know, credit to Portland for how they defended it then. But he still got up like a pretty, you know, decent, makeable shot. And I, I think that was a product of not only the play call, but I think Siakam read it right, given all the factors, you know? And I think... There were elements of that throughout the throughout the four games, uh, and not as much ball holding. So, uh, certainly more decisive uh, in the post and getting to the middle, uh, spinning both ways uh, to get. You know, he's still more more effective spinning counterclockwise than clockwise uh, because counterclockwise has him finishing with his dominant right hand, which is easier to do. Um, um, well, yeah, well, and one more note on, on Mr. Covington there is that uh, Groban likes his ladies to pop. That's a a deep, always sunny cut for uh, my guy Samson Folk over at Raptors Republic. Okay. Uh, It's all I think of uh, with the last name Covington is Groban likes his ladies to pop, Eric. Um, Yeah, but Siakam, like, what did you think? He just gave it to Covington. Yeah. Like, he gave it to Covington in the first half, and 
he had an awesome game and he i think he was you know pretty damn good uh, you know we can keep talking about it he was very good in these four games yeah what did you think of the look that he got against golden state because I, I was happier with the portland look yeah you know I, I i didn't think that i think one of the things to consider with portland too is that they had a foul to give and i it certainly looked like everyone was expecting, like the Raptors were, and I certainly was expecting Portland to use that foul to give. And I wonder if Siakam maybe got into his move a little later, expecting to get fouled with like four on the clock or something like that. Uh, and Covington just never gave that foul. Um, and it looked a little, you know, there wasn't great spacing around that and there wasn't great, uh, you know, off ball options to, to kind of, you know, one thing the Raptors have done a much, much better job of in getting Siakam going is, you know, running stuff either before he gets the ball to attack or running stuff around him to give him more passing lanes to cutters, whether that's on the baseline, uh, Stanley cutting diagonally, you know, uh, the point guards moving around up top to, to give him three point outlets. Um, and that wasn't there on that on that last play. But I was I was a little happier with that look than the Warriors one, which obviously Draymond snuffed out uh, their their primary option there and kind of Surprise. Yeah, you know, Nick, Nick Nurse, <laughs> and this extends back to, to Dwayne Casey, too, is, you know, the Raptors have always had a bit of a preference for, you know, you have a plan A in these scenarios, and your plan B is put the ball in the hands of your best player and, and trust them to get a shot off. And, you know, he got a shot off. That That's a shot that's in Siakam's bag. He opened the game against Portland, hitting basically that exact same shot. Uh, it was closer to the rim, I would say, but yes. Yeah, uh, and... Uh, and he was he was spinning the other way, I believe. Yeah. He was spinning. Um, anyway, but Golden State on. defended it well. They had guys in at the elbows ready to pinch and stuff like that. Uh, but I thought I thought the Portland look was a, a little better. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't have much to add there. Like, uh, Draymond's great. Uh, I think the, the Raptors were pretty open about it not being their first option. I think, you know, credit to Andrew Wiggins for playing him hard to drive to his right side, uh, or to his right hand, I should say. Uh, and Siakam did what he needed to to get a semi-decent look off from the position he was in with, you know, whatever four seconds were left or whatever it was. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, they had less time starting on that possession than they did against Portland, so that's, you know, a big part of it. Uh, Yeah, I have... I don't have much to say. It wasn't ideal, but that's why it was plan B or plan C as opposed to plan A. And I, I, I don't think you can fault Pascal on his decision-making uh, on either move. And I think that's sort of the bigger thing to me. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, Eric, uh, we have a, a staff meeting in a couple minutes here. So um, we got to wrap this up a little bit. Uh, the Raptors now look ahead. They have the Hornets twice, the Mavericks, and then the Heat twice. Two of these kind of... Uh, not home and home, the, the two-game miniseries. And their next five are all in at Amelie. Uh, obviously, a five-game homestand does not carry the same weight when you're not playing at home, but it might be nice for them to be in the same spot, and it might be nice for them to be able to get a practice or two in. Uh, I don't want to make you predict because yeah, I, don't, I also don't know do when that. our next recording is <laughs> going to be. Uh, I don't think it'll be five games from now. It'll probably be yeah. uh, three games from now after that. And that, now they'll have no fans rooting against them. Yes. In Tampa, so that's nice. Um, yeah, so they play Charlotte Thursday and Saturday, and then Dallas on Monday. I'd imagine that we talk to you uh, after that. And, uh, yeah, so what do you think? of Two Charlotte games and a Dallas game. Charlotte's playing pretty well. Dallas uh, is shut down, so. Yeah, I'll just, I'll say they got two and one. But, uh, I don't know. 
I haven't been very good at this so far, so I wouldn't put much stock in that. So what'd you say, sorry? Two and one. Two wins, one loss. Uh, where's the loss? Oh, you're, you said you weren't going to make me predict, and now you're making me predict. Well, Eric, I want you to be able to, like, I, look, this okay, is win-win. Lose... Hang on. This is win-win for me when I put you on the spot, because, first of all, you always get flustered and frustrated, even though I do it almost every episode during the season. Uh, and then it's like, it's win-win. Either you're right, and we look very smart as a podcast, or you're wrong, and I get to make fun of you for being yeah. an idiot. No, that's it's a good play by you. Yeah. Uh, credit where credit's due. Uh, so give I'll us say the exact lose. score. How many assists Lamelo Ball has in each game, and uh, who who drops more passes, Biz or Baines? Uh, I'll say Wid loss Wid, and uh, yeah, I'm not going any deeper than that. All right, um, guys, we will uh, talk to you probably. I'd imagine after the Dallas game on Monday, uh, we fall in. If it happens, yeah, if it happens, uh, that's one thing to watch. Well, if it doesn't happen, we'll probably talk to you then too because. Uh, no. That would be newsworthy. Um, but we won't be talking to you after the game. Yes, correct. Uh, all right, guys. So keep a, keep an eye out for that. Obviously, keep an eye out for all our written stuff. Um, Theathletic.com slash we the six for a $3.99 a month deal right now. If you're not a subscriber to the written side. Uh, also, keep an eye out. I don't know if it'll be the next episode, but sometime soon we'll probably mix in one of our uh, occasional mailbag episodes or something like that. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out. I guess the, those calls will come on uh on Twitter. And as always, Eric is happy to answer your questions. If you at him, DM him, hit him up on LinkedIn, uh, whatever. Eric is uh, at your search. Eric, It's funny you say that because my LinkedIn, like, uh, I was just thinking yesterday, when I like log into LinkedIn for the first time in two years, a lot of people are going to get notifications of like acceptances. Nice. Um, I have had in my head, so we recorded uh, the music podcast that I do, Columbia House Party, uh, to give away Monday's episode. Uh, we did, uh, we have a Linkin Park episode coming out and I just like, you know, those people who change their Twitter names all the time to like fun, punny stuff. Yes. Um, I would love to be one of those people, but I, I that's a professional account. Not. LinkedIn Park is, uh, is a perfect one. Yeah. Uh, all right, good. Eric, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Blake. Everybody stay sane and safe out there. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.